Let's pray. So God, we come before your heavenly throne. Your throne that's full of grace and mercy. Boldly asking for you to do a work this morning. For you to work in the soul of, of somebody that's here who, who doesn't know you. Lord, maybe to give them the confidence to ask a question, to take that step of faith saying, yeah, I trust you, Lord. And Lord, we, of course, pray for those that are not here today because of sickness or health. Lord, we lift them up before you this morning. And God, as your word commands us, and as our hearts desire, we pray for the peace of Israel. We pray that you get the glory out of even the darkest of times. Lord, be with the families there that have lost loved ones. Be with the troops fighting for peace. And God, we thank you for the freedom that you give us in our country, that we could do this, that we could proclaim your truth, proclaim the, the truth of your word and in your son and, and proclaim who he is without having to look over our shoulders. God, help us to never take this freedom for granted. Lord, we thank you for, of course, your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die on the cross for our sins, but didn't just die, rose again three days later so that through faith in him, we can have eternal life. God, help me to proclaim that this morning. Use me and make me your vessel. If you have to push me out of the way, Lord, do so. Allow me to become less so that you can become more. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. We're going to dive right into it this morning. If you're, if you're new with us, what, what we're doing is we are journeying through 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter, we're in chapter 2, the, the second part of the chapter. Um, it's, we've been blessed by uh, what Peter is writing to the church uh, that is currently the, those Christians that are in exile, uh, and it's so important for us to, to take note of the way that, that he encouraged, equipped, and enabled the believers that are undergoing this persecution to live out the truth of God's word uh, without shying away. So I want to start by saying this, <clears throat> all throughout scripture, we see it true that ungodly leaders produce ungodly laws that force ungodly morals, forming an ungodly nation. Nothing has changed today. We're gonna, I'm going to say that one more time because it's going to be a theme throughout today's message. Ungodly leaders produce ungodly laws that force ungodly morals, forming an ungodly nation. When Peter is writing to those that are in exile, we can see this hands-on as Peter then equips the believers to hold firmly to their faith. Nothing has changed today. Ungodly politicians forcing ungodly laws and the nation looking less and less godly as time goes on. Bills that have been passed or 
or not passed into law over the course of the last few years have been disturbing, disgusting, and downright disappointing. To name a few, six states, including Washington, D.C., do not impose any term restrictions on abortion. And this has not changed since the overturning of Roe. In April of this year, a, a Colorado governor signed a bill into law to ensure people in other states that they can come to Colorado for an abortion or, or to begin puberty blockers or to receive gender-affirming care without fear of prosecution. The law also extends legal protections to providers of abortions and gender-affirming care. These are just two laws that have been passed. The list of laws that have been attempted to pass go on and on and on. And, and let me and hear me on this. Just because they have not passed doesn't mean that they won't. Now, I read this because as we're about to see, Peter writes to those in exile that they are to submit to their governing authority. So that implies the same to us believers, that, that we, as Christians and as a church, are to submit to our governing authority. But then it begs the question, how do we submit to a governing authority that completely violates our consciences and convictions? Well, church, I want to assure you that the submission to the government does not mean allegiance to it. In the words of the most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth, he says this, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. Submission to the human institutions, as Peter writes, referring to the government or, or the king or, or the president doesn't mean that you approve of it. It doesn't mean that you have to respect the person that is in the position, but rather that you respect the office. Peter's not writing that they are to obey every single thing that the government says, nor is he saying that everything that they say is accurate. Rather, he's saying that because you are under the authority of the Lord, you are to also be under the authority of the government that he has established. It's the Lord that has established the authority that is in place, and we are to respect this authority of the government because it is, it is God that has put them into place, and we are to fear him and him alone. Let's get into our scripture for this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter 2, as I mentioned. 1 Peter chapter 2, Bibles in front of you are going to be the same exact Bibles that, uh, the same exact version that I'll be using. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 25. 13 through 25. Let's start by reading verse 13 to 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Point number one, a servant of God seeks the will of God alone. A servant of God seeks the will of God alone. This brings us back to the crucial need for Christians to 
always be in line with the Spirit's work in our life. No matter the situation that these governing authorities put us in as believers, we are to always pursue good and not evil and to constantly be discerning as to how we can continue to fulfill the Great Commission even when the leaders are in opposition to it. The concern here is that Peter is telling those in exile that they are to submit to the governing authorities that punish those that do evil and praise those who do good. When Nero was the empire, was the emperor, this, this, this must have raised some, some questions from the believers to whom this letter was written. They might have written back to Peter as Peter commands them to, to do this, to submit to the government, to obey what they say, to, to do as they say. The, the letter in return might have asked this question, what governmental authority are you talking about that is praising good and punishing evil? How true is this for us today? We're seeing national medals handed out to those that help to advance the LGBTQIA community, citing that they are brave for pursuing this and hoping that others in the nation will join them. Entire campaigns of presidential candidates are being based on abortion rights and censorship. The encouragement of, of protests that burn down businesses in the name of justice. We must keep an eye out. And be aware of this because the prophet of Isaiah says in chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We have in place in our country leaders that are corrupt beyond compare, praising immoral lifestyles, yet punishing those who are doing good. They come back with this hot-button word, inclusivity saying that you can think and believe whatever you want, just make sure it's what we believe and want. You can do and say whatever you want, just don't offend anyone. And if your morality and convictions infringe on our lifestyle, then we're going to label it a hate crime. This is so harmful. Not just for our nation, but for the kingdom of God. It forces those that do not have a biblical foundation to question their very identity, which is why we are in an identity crisis as a nation. And then in turn leads, has them falling into the lie from the enemy that God made a mistake while creating them. That's a lie. You see, when you rid a nation of its Christian foundation, you rid the nation of the Lord's blessing as well. And when the Lord's blessing is no longer on a nation, oh, my friends, oh, my friends, destruction is not seen afar. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is why it's so important to be testing every single thing that you hear. Just because it's on the news or, or it's coming from your, your favorite media outlet doesn't mean that it's true. Or just because someone running for office has made a promise doesn't mean that they're going to fulfill it. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
I'm still waiting on my, my student tuition to be refunded to me. Let us continue to live our lives alert to the agenda of the government and those in authority, looking out our windows and reading our newspapers with these aware minds and discerning hearts, keeping the Bible in one hand, as Billy Graham would say, and the newspaper in the other. Maybe today you'd be better off saying keeping your Bible in one app and the news in another. Because by doing so, we'll be able to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and fulfill the will of God by bringing the good news to the world despite the persecution that is to come. We must be all in followers of Jesus Christ. We must be all in followers of Jesus Christ, seeking to strengthen our relationship with him and live out his will above all else because any other will is only temporary, and it's unfulfilling, I can tell you from experience. But when we are confident of his calling and his purpose for our life, we would rather die than do anything else. Martin Luther is an awesome testimony of this. Luther taught that salvation and consequently eternal life are not earned by good deeds. Rather, they are received only as the free gift of God's grace through the believer's faith, in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer from sin. Many are familiar with Martin Luther. Now, this, this teaching that salvation by faith alone was absolutely radical for his time. And it was the largest, it made the largest impact on the church potentially since the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Luther was so convinced that, that salvation in faith alone was enough that faith alone was enough for salvation, that he wrote what became known as the 95 Theses, which were 95 reasons as to why this church's beliefs at the time were invalid. And then he, he, he took this a step further, and, and he printed and wrote down on paper these 95 differences about what the Bible says to what the church says. And, and he went up to the church in Wittenberg, which is the, the biggest church in the city, and he took this piece of paper, and he hammered it to the front door. This event sparked what became known as the Protestant Reformation. And it's really the reason why every church today is not considered to be Roman Catholic. As a result of this, Luther was then excommunicated by the Pope, and he was, ex and he was considered an outlaw by the entire Ho Holy Roman Emperor. He was given the opportunity, listen to this, he was given opportunity after opportunity to revise and reciprocate his stance on these theological positions, essentially to, he was given opportunity to go back on what he said. The Pope and the governors said, Luther, if you, if you just say none of this is true, it was an accident, I didn't mean to do that, I take it back. He said, everything will go back to normal. You can come back in our town, you can live as a normal citizen, you can enjoy the rights that we have as a country, you could be normal again, we won't excommunicate you, you won't have to deal with persecution, just go back on what you said. He was then presented in front of the council and really the entire town after being commanded to undo his stance 
and his words still ring true and are heard throughout our world today. And it goes like this. I want all, all ears and all eyes right here. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often eared and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against my conscience, so help me God. Luther put his life on the line for the convictions that he believed to be true. Let us as servants of God be like Luther, being convinced by nothing but Scripture, bound by nothing but Scripture, and our conscience captive by nothing but Scripture, so help me God. A servant of God seeks the will of God alone. A servant of God seeks the will of God alone. Verses 16 and 17. 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Verse 17, one more time. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Point number two. A servant of God fears God alone. A servant of God fears God alone. Peter says to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Honor the emperor. But the only being that he commands us to fear is who? God. For too long we have seen a church that, that puts their honor of everyone above their fear of God. Sometimes we've even gone as far as fearing everyone while attempting to honor God. We make our, our mission to reach people with the hope of glorifying God while we actually need to turn that around and Make our priority glorifying God with the hope of reaching people. Fearing God doesn't mean that we twist our Bible to be accepting or, or jeopardizing our convictions in the name of evangelism. It means following him no matter what the cost. This is exactly who this letter was written to. Peter is saying that you're not called to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but rather use it as one that points outsiders to the hope that we have no matter the persecution that you're in. A healthy fear of God, hear this, produces a posture of awareness of the culture that we live in. And if we don't have a healthy fear of God, that we not only take advantage of the freedoms that Christ has given us, but we insult our kingdom. And growing up in a post-Christian culture forces us to understand the, the consequence, 
the consequences of taking this freedom for granted. It's harmful. When we, when we take a look at the culture around us and, and we realize that we are, Christ, that, that we are Christians, are, are, as Christians, are barely in the majority, statistically speaking, we, we have to accept that, that we're no longer in, we no longer have home field advantage. According to a Pew Research Center survey, those that consider themselves to be Christians are steeping more than ever in our country. The religious, quote-unquote, nuns make up 23% of our population, and 20% claim to have no religious affiliation at all. A total of 64% of Christ- claim to be Christians. You're saying, well, that's, that's good. 64%, that's still the majority. Well, this survey was taken four years ago. And every year is more and more significant because 50 years ago, just 50 years ago, 90% of our nation was Christian. We're now at 64. I'm saying this because Christians currently make up the lowest percentage of our population than they ever have in the history of our country. And this is only continuing to decline more and more. But my friend, this should produce motivation, not fear. This, this straying away from the faith that the culture gives us one of three, we, we, it forces us to have one of three responses, and they're this. We can retreat into hiding. We can form an allegiance with the culture. Or we could stand up, embrace our faith, and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. My friend, God's call to evangelize is not a call to enjoyment. His command to share the good news with the world is is not a suggestion or an option, but, but rather the purpose and the desire of the Christian life. This post Christian secularized world that we are living in must force those that are standing strong to look to God in fear and in trembling, trusting that no matter what lies ahead, He is sovereign. He always has been, and he always will be. We must embrace the season that we're living in. And we must join in with the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they look the dictator, King Nebuchadnezzar, in the eye. As he threatened their very lives because of their rejection to bow down to him. You remember the story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow knee to the idol that, that King Nebuchadnezzar forced them to do. And, and he, just like Martin Luther, he, he said to these three, you could, you could go ahead and we'll, we'll give you another chance. You could come here and, and you could bow down to, to, to this idol that I've created and, and all will be good. I don't want to throw you in that furnace either. And they said these words. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Have no need, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, hear those words, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
as we continue to watch this cultural decline happen, we must look at history and see that every time God allowed a nation or empire to fall, in the meantime, he produced Christians that were stronger than history has ever seen. Let us fear God and God alone. Trusting in him, knowing that our soul is in the palm of his hand. And my friend, there is no better place for us to be. A servant of God fears God and God alone. Verses 18 through 25. 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's the gospel. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Point number three. A servant of God follows Christ alone. A servant of God follows Christ alone. It's very simple. You know, the more that we are in tune with, with God's call on our life, the more prepared and equipped that we become to face the battles that are in front of us. You may think that when you take a stand for God, that, that he's going to bless you by, by what your standard of blessing might be. It's easy to think that, well, I, I stood up for my godly convictions at my job, so he's going to give me a promotion. But what happens when you get fired? Or I obeyed God's call on this decision that I made for my career. He's going to bless my finances. But what happens when it all falls apart? You see, being a servant of God and following Christ does not result in only blessings, but oftentimes suffering. And Peter is saying that though you make godly decisions and, and glorify Christ in all that you do, and, and when this suffering comes, it's your endurance through this suffering that is, that is the gracious thing in the sight of God. The issue is that it be it's becoming more and more difficult to discern, hear this, what is of God and what is of the enemy. It's becoming more and more difficult to discern what is of God and what is of the enemy. You're saying, I want to take a stand for God, but I don't even know what that means today. Well, thankfully, God gives us his word to know the difference, his spirit to know the direction, 
and his son to know the difficulty that comes from it. And when you were in need of wisdom as to how to discern his voice, James 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. There are so many voices in our world today. Many argue that it's very difficult and becoming more and more difficult to discern what that voice of God is in our lives. But I want to encourage you. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Children of God know the voice of their father. Now, now some of you, some of you know, and I, we really appreciate your prayers. Some of you have been praying for our family. You know, we have had gone through the last couple of weeks of having a sick child. Um, and anyone with toddlers or anyone that's been a parent knows the harm that, that that does to the family dynamic because you're working on like three to four hours of sleep. Well, there was one particular night where, where my daughter, she was at the peak of it. She was super sick. And, and of course, because her room is at the other end of the hallway, she, she, at, at, in the middle of the night, she has to scream at the top of her lungs to get our attention. And her and her, her, her sister share a room. So she then wakes up her sister. And, and then what happens? Absolute chaos in the Smith household at 2.30 in the morning. And no one goes back to sleep for a matter of hours. And, and it, it, it's just chaos that ensues. So, so my daughter, Joby, she starts screaming. Ren starts screaming. That's my other daughter. And, and you'd think that we are in the middle of war in our house. If you were to walk in our home, you'd say, why are you guys doing this? It's 2.30 in the morning. But this particular time, it was my turn. Amanda and I try to do our best to, to go in, in there and, and bring, you know, some sort of peace to, to the room because it's absolutely chaotic. And, and, and uh, this screaming was going on. And, and I opened the door. It's pitch black. And I say, Daddy's here. In a soft, hushed voice, I just said, Daddy's here. And Ren falls back asleep. Joby lays back down. Peace just comes over the room. You see where I'm going with this? They couldn't see me. They couldn't feel me. They had no idea where I was. They just heard the voice of their father. And instant peace over the room. My daughters know the voice of their father, no matter the pain that they're in, no matter the amount of chaos that is around them, no matter the harm that may come near to them. When they heard my voice, they knew it was going to be okay. My friend, the sheep know the voice of their father. And there is no other voice that is more important to obey than the voice of our Father in heaven. So as we go about our life and the waves of the culture rise and return, we can look to his word knowing that that is where we will find our answer.